0: When you get these headlines now, like First Republic failing or Pac West failing or Western Alliance failing, and you get a move up from Bitcoin, if you don't see the equity markets doing the same thing, then you might want to fade it. All right, welcome back to our third episode of Thousand X. It's kind of hilarious because i'm looking at the price of bitcoin right now and i don't think it has changed much since the last episode even though it's been two weeks and i feel like a lot has happened we're basically at the same prices at the end of the last
1: episode you you asked me hey jonah what first 24k or 30k um both said 24k did it touch
0: 30k almost it was very close so I think I think we were saved by like two hundred dollars. Uh, the high was twenty nine thousand nine hundred and fifty nine dollars. So we didn't we didn't quite get there. I w- I would still characterize that as being wrong, but technically we're not wrong yet, and we're back at the <laughs> same prices. I, I, I like you said. Uh, a lot has changed. A, a a lot has changed. I think. One of the one of one of the more interesting things uh, that that happened in the last two weeks was the the, the failure of First Republic, uh, and the and the after the aftershocks of that. We we yeah, PacWest and Western Alliance kind of kind of you know collapsing on in on, in on themselves. And I do think uh, Bitcoin definitely got a boost from that, a short term boost. But I'm getting kind of worried, and I don't know if you're uh, if you're feeling this too, where the narrative was for the longest time since SVB, bank failures good for Bitcoin. But we're kind of seeing that not play out as much anymore. And I'm starting to think back to SVB and think about, well, what was the real driver of Bitcoin price action? like what was the most important part and instead of reallocation because of bank failure i'm thinking maybe it was just the stimulus effect of the fed saying and the fdic saying we're basically going to backstop all banks and so now every further bank failure that we get has less of that effect because we already know that that like that is being that's priced in right If, if first republic fails. And their deposits are backstop. Well, that's priced in because nobody was pricing them them going under in the same way, well, it's, right? It's a
1: good point you make, um, but I'm not sure how much of it is priced in. I'm not sure I agree with you in in the entirety of that statement. Um, I, I'm kind of leaning the opposite direction as you. I'm starting to get a little bit more confident and feeling more bullish uh, rather than more more scared of being bullish. And I think the reason is, um, you know, I think since the start of this bank bailout situation occurred with the fdic backstopping the regionals 300 billion dollars is what that cost staggering numbers uh when you compare it to like what happened in 08 you know that they're they're happy to just dispense of 300 billion to, to backstop a couple of banks and d- depositors uh in a couple of banks and that basically unwinds the entire deflationary effect of what was going on prior to that with um you know the treasury letting or sorry the uh the fed letting some of their holdings roll off um pretty remarkable so i think you could say there are th- what's priced in is a few more regional banks failing and maybe an, another bailout or two but i i think if you you take the view that this cascade is just going to continue until the entire regional banking system has been subsumed by bulge brackets like jp morgan and b of A, uh i don't think that amount of bailout has been priced in so maybe we're somewhere in between
0: yeah i i think I. Uh... Uh, yeah you're 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 definitely right that the long term uh, if in the long term what ends up happening is a, a a lot of these regional banks a majority of these regional banks get subsumed i don't think that's being priced in that's correct but i do think a few more bank failures what every subsequent bank failure is less stimulus unless it's a ton of bank failures right so obviously if you get like 50 or 60 then that's going to be more than than just you know five or six, but what I'm saying is that every subsequent uh, subsequent one is just less stimulus in 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 the market. I think that's it's just more it's more priced in, and so the core the core of the question also was like, okay, well, why are people reallocating to big or why are people allocating to Bitcoin? Um, with SVB, I think what was kind of interesting is that Bitcoin led the S and P, but the S and P rebounded too which I think is important to remember, right? Risk markets went up after SVB. It just so happened that Bitcoin went up first and went up faster. I think a lot of it was because it was a weekend. Um, But, you know, it it went up first and went up faster was the fastest horse because I think people were allocating to it based off of, okay, well, this is stimulus and this is some sort of narrative. So therefore, we're going to bet, we're going to bet on this thing. Um, And so what that tells me though is like, if I were to like, let's say we ran a regression on it. Right. And we said two variables stimulus, equity markets going up, and then narrative. I'd bet that it would be 80 20. Right. It'd be 80 stimulus, 20 narrative. That would be my bet. And so the reason that that's important is that when you get these headlines now, like First Republic failing or PAC West failing or Western Alliance failing, and you get a move up from Bitcoin. If you don't see the equity markets doing the same thing, then you might want to fade it. That's that sort of that's that 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 that's sort of the out. That's like the outcome-oriented approach. Like if you see if PacWest goes down next week and Bitcoin's up four percent, like to me that seems like a sale as opposed to a buy because of that dynamic. I hear you. I mean, I guess maybe one dynamic that
1: boosted us so much in March when SVB went down was the fact that. Circle, um, Circle Financial, the you know the issuer of USDC Dollar Coin, um, held three billion plus worth of deposits at Silicon Valley Bank. So if you were holding USDC at that time, there was an actual impetus for you to rotate out of your USDC and into ETH on Uniswap or something, or or off chain, um, because your your dollars were theoretically at risk. Whereas when if you're a crypto holder and first republic bank goes down or zions bancorp goes down or any of these other regionals like for the most part uh you're either not exposed or you don't know if you're exposed or you're just straight up in who cares territory so maybe there's a little bit less like impulse to trade as there as there was back then still the, the narrative did cause a pop and it, you're absolutely right it was a fade meanwhile you know the biggest bank of them all uh the united states treasury uncle sam you know that 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 one's looking a little shaky as well and uh, I don't know if we if we let's say we had a technical default where the United States just doesn't pay back bondholders for a little while what what do you think the price of Bitcoin is in that
0: scenario? I think that depends heavily on uh, heavily on gold. My bet my bet is that headline sends us past 30 maybe to thirty five um, I had this I had this tweet it's like I think I think we get to thirty five k uh if we if, if that headline comes out, people have said that I was not sufficiently bullish enough. So I quote tweeted it and I said, Okay, fine, all time highs. But I think like the reaction to that tweet uh is is telling. So I that that quote tweet was definitely a joke. I think that we were probably capping out at, you know, thirty thirty five K or thirty thirty six K unless uh you get that and then like a really quick what I what I could see like really propelling us if if I, you know if we're hopeful to get to 40 or more is the debt ceiling happens people panic you get like a short term move down in risk markets and then it's very quickly resolved and it's put behind us and we come out with a good with a good conclusion and bitcoin has all this narrative behind it already and then risk markets start ripping again then that's i think it's like similar to the SBB situation right where it's Mm. you kind of you kind of need that confluence i think that i think you know queues have to go up i think spy has to go up in order for bitcoin to get to in order for bitcoin to get to all time highs but if you get that narrative juice and then you get that turnaround i mean buy as much upside vol as you possibly can and just just kind of wait it out you know it's it's interesting you mention upside vol i think it's very rare to talk about a
1: mega cap asset that could double in price in the next month or two and you know, I'm I'm less sanguine about it. I think I think you know we could definitely see all time highs on short order if the United States were to default. And it's crazy that we even have to talk about this. Like, um, if you have a sp- whoever you are, wherever you live in the world, if you have a spreadsheet with money in it, you have to rewrite some cells and some formulas if the United States defaults. Like, the risk free rate is no longer risk free. Um, the the value of investing money will you know, or, or holding money now versus having money later changes drastically. Um, it, it it could possibly be, you know, the most seminal event in financial history and it could occur not because of an inability to pay, but just an unwillingness to, to pay back debt. I mean, there are a few scenarios we can talk through around that, but I, I think you'd see Bitcoin test 70, $80,000 if people need to move money out of, uh, you know, much like they move money out of USDC and into crypto when Silicon Valley Bank was, under duress and eventually failed. I think you'd see people move money out of fiat and into crypto in, in tropes, if fiat suddenly became unstable. I mean, if you're holding fiat right now, you're holding T-bills and earning, earning yield, you're not holding cash and letting it burn. I think, I think you're insane. I don't think this is going anywhere near safe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: think this is going anywhere Maybe Maybe sunny. we should just fight each other on Twitter, but yeah, fair yeah. enough. I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I, I would obviously love that. I think, uh, you know, it, it'd make my, uh, it'd make my summer a lot better could could definitely could definitely do a lot more things but you know I, I i don't think that that's feasible to get to to get to get to 70 mostly because i just i just don't know where that where that buying is coming from because you know even if we hit the debt ceiling and that that issue comes out okay let's think of the, let's think of the market participants right who are actually you're actually going to be buying this thing i don't think retail's not buying on it they might buy a little bit on it i think you'd need to cat like you might you know you'd probably need to get through 35 40 to get to get retail to get retail back in and even then retail doesn't feel as rich or as bored as they were during COVID. so there's there's hard it's just harder to get them in
1: you don't think even a few basis points of retail would say hey i'm just gonna go buy a little bit of bitcoin on my robin hood account
0: just because I don't think you get a frenzy the high net worth guys i think they they do drive it forward and i think those guys take it to 35 so remember like i am bullish uh, I, so I do think you get you get some allocation from the high net worth. The institutions are going to take too long. Like no institution is going to say I'm buying Bitcoin now because of this. Not even no. coin futures on the CME. I think I think activated. I I think it would just take like take them time to make that decision, uh, and then the slow allocators may or may not change their pace based on it. Um, and I say all this because I think in order to get back to seventy, you need. You like need all of those groups to be firing in all cylinders, and so if you don't have all those groups firing in all cylinders, it's just harder. It's just it's just hard, harder to see. Um, but I do think you know thirty five forty is a is is a reason is a reasonable target. Although you know I, I'd I'd re, I'd reassess I, I'd reassess there. One thing that I was um, thinking about. And you know, I'd love. I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this a slightly, slightly different way, but I'd, lo- I'd love to get you, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Are in 2021, there was such a perfect storm of you're locked in your house, you have stimulus checks, you you can't do anything, your entire life has just gone online, and that led to crypto going nuts. Do you think we'll ever get circumstances like that again that will lead to a crazy run like 2021? And if so, how do you think we get there? Oh man, it's a
1: great question. I think, um, I don't think we'll ever, like history doesn't repeat itself, but it, it often rhymes as the saying goes. So I don't think we'll we'll get another lockdown with a bunch of stimulus checks. But I, you know, I can see a different type of perfect storm and... You know, One of the themes that we play on in a thousand X is how old I am and how young you are. I, I would I would put it more the question more on you and you know Gen Z people, who whenever I talk to them, it seems like they're they're less doing the sorts of things that that I did when I was young and more like just chasing apparitions of Pokemon around abandoned lots with their phone or you know living on Fortnite, watching a con- Travis Scott concert on the internet. Like at some point, I think enough of these people are going to grow up and have enough. Percentage of human productive hours spent online that you know crypto internet money is going to become more of a more of a thing than than fiat for a lot of people. Um, I think that the seamlessness of the experience of moving value around and moving digital goods and services around relative to moving actual goods and services and and fiat currency, um, it's such a, a drastic improvement. You know, as the the founder of Fireblock says, it's thirty x better. It's not thirty percent better. Um, you know, I think yes. eventually for certain people, you will have that perfect storm of just constant economic activity inside of some game or, or reality that isn't
0: necessarily what, uh, what us olds think of as, as normal. What do you think? Yeah, it, I think, I think all that's, all that's correct. So I think there are two things that stand out to me as major, you know, headwind or not a uh, tailwinds for crypto not headwinds is one that wealth transfer from boomers like you, people like me, come on! <laughs> it's like you know, as parents, as par- parents get older, I think that 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 reallocation is going to bring is going to bring a lot of money into digital assets. Great. Uh, yeah. I also I also do think uh, you know I, I I I tweet I tweeted this out, but I was in uh, I was I was in South America last last month, and one thing that struck me was just that crypto is a Genuine thing there. Like you can actually go buy things with crypto. There are people that use crypto there. I talked to like random people that would bring it up and like had Binance accounts and ever like ever you know and and so I think what what could end up happening is that as you get you know population growth from those areas as those areas get wealthier, the allocation of crypto grows grow, grows 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 a little grows a little bit more. um you know, as the rest of the world gets wealthier relative to places. Like the U.S. and 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 the U.K., where, where allocations are are, are are a bit lower, and then here's my little like conspiracy theory or not conspiracy theory, but far fetched uh, idea. I think could lead to a crazy bull run. Is we have a okay? So we have inflation right now, right? How do you solve for inflation? Well, one way is to raise rates. Another way is to increase productivity, and AI is radically increasing productivity in certain niche areas right now it's very possible that in a year in two years in three years we're back into structural deflation because the productivity gains that ai has delivered us have just gone through the roof and then you get a crazy bull market from tech you probably like it's very possible that if this thesis is true the 10-year is just ripping forever (laughs) <laughs> like like we 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 what we saw peak rates already, that's that's possible. Uh, and then at some point, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs, and I don't know whether it's three years, four years, five years, six years, eight years from now, but UBI starts to become a very 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 real discussion, and I think that could create an environment that's very good. For- yeah. How do you how do you escape? If you're in UBI
1: world and, you know, obviously the, the steps it would take to get there are controversial, but if you live in UBI world, how do you differentiate yourself from the pack? Well, you have to invest well, basically. Um, so now here's the question. Speaking of, uh, old world things that could potentially transform themselves into explosive digital economies, digital products, uh. Way back when I was young, you'd get in your car, drive to the gas station, and buy a lottery ticket, and that was your your way to you know potentially get rich um, without really trying that hard. One thing that I was thinking about recently, amidst the this meme coin frenzy, is isn't this just a, a digitally native, more exciting and younger version of going and buying a lottery ticket? And what would it be like if you took the total global spend on lottery tickets and just saw that, you know, over the course of the next, I don't know how many decades just turn into global spend on meme coin lotteries. Um, what would the market capitalization of meme coins be if you, if you brought that spend online, the U S spent $74 billion on lottery
0: tickets last year, according to Google in one year in one year. People yeah, like before. seventy-four billion dollars of money were used to buy lottery tickets. That's right. Yeah. So in that thinking an, of that like, that is an absurdly high number. That's just America. Um, you know what? What what percent of the total crypto market cap <coughs> is that? That's like a uh, solid five five percent. Yeah, five uh, percent of total like total crypto market cap. Yeah, and if this is seventy-four billion dollars of buying of crypto. This stuff is up two x.
1: Yeah, and so seventy-four billion dollars of buying does not equate to seventy-four billion dollars worth of market capitalization. No. Maybe it's ten x that amount. So basically, what I was thinking was, you know, to your question about what causes that perfect storm, I think, you know, wealth transfer as you know, younger people inherit cash um, and just a digitally native version of activity that took place that has taken place for a very long time, but you know, in, in a more uh, Let's call it flashy and appealing way to to younger
0: generations that could create a you know all sorts of activity. Yeah, I mean that would be yeah. I I actually didn't didn't realize that that was the total total amount of money spent on lottery tickets, but that makes a ton of sense, right? I mean, crypto at the at the end of the day is a, a large portion of it is the fact that it's a massive casino. Right. Yeah, when you have things like I when what was what actually the the one thing that changed dramatically from last week was the market cap of Pepe. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean. That's that's been for a wild ride. But, you know,
0: that's kind of like comparable
1: to uh, the price of a square mile of real estate on what is now the Las Vegas Strip, right? It kind of went from worthless to maybe a few hundred grand to worth billions. And maybe back down and then back up again through some various recessionary scenarios. But you have to think that some of this value trickles down um, to... The Ethereum network, because you know, lottery tickets, casinos, gambling—that's but one of the many products and services offered on this on this L1. Um, and that's, I think, why gas has been so consistently high for for
0: the last few weeks. Is this type of activity? there has been a crazy, uh, a, cra- a crazy uptake in uh, in, in, me- in meme coinery, uh, and it's all it's all retail. I mean, it is you know, it's very hard for institutions to go touch this stuff as much as you know, but as much as you might think that we don't pay attention to it. We very much so pay attention to it because it's a great signal I think for a lot of things um you know one one thing that was very heavily debated in like group chats and internally was does did did the Pepe blow off and the crazy amount of capital that flew into Pepe was that a sign for the health of the market this is a debate and I'll give you I'll give you the two sides as as I see it, and then you know I'd l- I'd love to hear l- l- love to hear where where you sort of fall out on it is maybe you have a third or fourth or fifth side, but the two sides as I see it is one meme coins generally mean blow off, It's when you have nothing better to do with with your money it sucks liquidity out of Bitcoin and Ethereum and that causes Bitcoin and Ethereum to go down and if nobody's allocating Bitcoin and Ethereum then the meme coin can only go up for so long and then everything starts crashing because people. Reallocate out of Bitcoin, and Ethereum. Bitcoin, Ethereum go down. Goes in meme coin, meme coin goes down. Right, so it's like a liquidity, the liquidity suck bear thesis. the The other side is that it's just a isolated. It's an isolated run. Pepe was the only thing that was running. It was kind of the only meme coin that was that, that, that was in existence. It kind of existed in its in its own world. And there's not that much liquidity. There's like fifty million dollars of liquidity backing a one point five billion dollar. Bitcoin, uh, you know, uh, I guess uh now now it's now it's less, but at, at the at the time I saw the saw the analysis. So it's uh you know uh, that's that's sort of the two 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 approaches to it. And I, I don't know if we've gotten uh we we've gotten an answer yet, but um
1: curious your take. Yeah, I mean I, I have kind of a, a TradFi informed take on this. Um thank you for asking. I think it's uh I think it's a new use case emerging. And the reason why is, you know, the lottery example that I gave earlier. To me, this is a lottery. And so far, the two biggest use cases for, you know, Ethereum have been, well, blockchains in general have been DeFi and NFTs in terms of computing. And obviously the OG use case is cryptocurrency. Bitcoin. The, the Bitcoin L1 supports a currency called Bitcoin that is useful to a lot of people, believe it or not. Stablecoins are another use case, but like to me this lottery, this online lottery accessible to the entire world is a use case. And so many times, you know, as a commodities trader, I used to trade crude oil. Like one thing that you learn is that as entrepreneurs in commodities markets, um, the biggest entrepreneurs who generate the most wealth do so by taking a waste product and turning it into a useful product. What I mean by that is like, Natural gas was literally burned at the wellhead until so, you know somebody thought, "Hey, this is a cleaner fuel that we can use to heat our homes." Right? Um, Vaseline, a lubricant that you you may or may not be familiar with, is uh, used to be a waste product of the refining process, and then Exxon just started selling it for what it's currently used for, um, and made a fortune. Right? So if you take a waste product and you turn it into a useful product, you make a fortune. Anyway, before these these conversions occur, markets often dis, commodities markets often dismiss this stuff as crap, as a waste of time, uh, a problem, a waste of resources. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I sit here as a, you know, at an institutional firm, servicing institutional counterparties, taking institutional risk and thinking and listening to people dismiss this pepe shit as just some sort of waste of, of block space. I'm thinking like, Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe the creators of, of these types of ERC20 tokens, which are consuming so much gas and could theoretically be considered waste products, are actually useful products uh, insofar as people demand lottery style upside for minimal effort in the society. It's human nature. I don't know. That would
0: be a one, one kind of crazy take on it. Yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm with you. And at some point, you know, as institutions, we might have to get comfortable speculating on these things. Uh, you know for for now for for now i think we you know it's hard to like if if we were to put 1% of our fund into into pepe and then we lost it i don't think our lps would be particularly it's hard LPs. to justify right so they look at us and they go why did you buy a coin based after a dog <laughs> that doesn't do anything you go well you know could 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 have gone up 100x it didn't but it could have right and so i'm kind of wondering if you know this plus doge is going to get LPs and people more comfortable with the idea that you can have these like crazy lottery tickets, and they kind of sometimes make sense in a portfolio portfolio context. Um, you know, there there was some uh, like options, institutional yeah. lottery tickets, call options. Yeah, there was some. Uh, I think to your point of, uh, to to your, to your general point of, hey, this is this is a, this is a big use case in crypto. A funny statistic was that if you bought every single meme coin that was launched over the last like year or something like that, you ended and you started with ten k, you ended up with something like a mil. A lot of it coming from Pepe, but also from what? other coins over the last year, which has been a pretty dire year for yeah. Over Alt. the last yeah, it's like over the last year. It's kind of not. oh my god, That's um, crazy because you you end up getting these things super early. Uh, and like some of them end up with like $5 million market caps or $10 million, or whatever. Um, some of them end up going to 1.5 bill apparently. Uh, so this is a, you know, I'm not advocating for people to go put their money into meme coins, but there's some sort of strategy that could probably be developed around this, right? Like if I was, if, if, if this if, is if, a question if, for you before if, you go on, it,
1: yeah. let's say that you were going to launch the golden coin meme coin index fund that does that actually does that, how, would that be a full-time job for somebody or two or three people just to accomplish that feat of getting into all of those tracking it all? How would you set that up?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I actually think it'd be like for some enterprising young guy out there or woman, it's gonna, it's It's probably a good idea to think about, Hey, how do I extract the most value, uh, from, from. Like trading, like what should I be what should I be spending my time? on? If you have any sort of technical ability, and AI could actually, ChatGPT might actually be able to help with this. Uh, is you can start screening contracts for uh, specific red flags. So imagine you scanned, you know, you, you you scanned Ethereum, and you looked for new smart contracts that were launched. And every single time a new smart contract came out uh, for for a token that was uh, you know a simple meme coin you'd pull in you'd pull in the data and then you ask GPT or you'd ask yourself like hey or what are the red flags like do they have any specific functions that allow you that re- either restrict you from selling so there are a lot that will say hey you actually can't sell there are a lot that are uh, like upgradable contracts like can can they upgrade the contract may or may not be a red flag uh you know do they have the ability to mint additional tokens that would be that would be a big, big red flag so there are all these sorts of functions that you can go look for in these smart contracts like okay well you compile a list of things that make you want to buy something and make you not want to buy something so you start running a running a screener and to figure out well what are the optimal meme coins to buy and then you probably after like i don't know this is probably like a month or two of work is what i would assume you probably have a pretty good system for picking up meme coins and you can actually probably run that as a strategy but that's a, that's at least my first my first instinct here, is that there's da- there's definitely a way to to go screen these these coins in a systematic and programmatic manner, make that bet over and over and over, and then just call it a day, right? Uh, scale uh, that. I, yeah, like scale that. And there's no way. There's also no way I was the first one to think of this. I'm sure that there are people out there doing it. And I'm actually now that I think about it more, probably a lot of volume like initial volume on these things comes from people doing that is what i would assume um so like the other way to the other way the other way to do it is if there if my theory is true and there are that many people that are running these bots then like to it you create a meme coin specifically designed to attract bot liquidity Hmm. right so like you like try to reverse engineer the bots and figure out what they look for in meme coins and then make a meme coin with exactly like those those parameters and then you launch uh, it it gets, it gets bought by a bunch of those bots and then you just like sell into them and you do that like over and over and over and over could be kind of funny uh, uh, the smartest bot people are focused on
1: sandwich trading and MEV right. meanwhile you when, when they zig
0: you zag well you know you know what they say it's, it's, it's not about it's not about how good you are it's about the table that you play at you know that's a very good point and uh the table that I,
1: I play at is increasingly graying and aging. So I guess I use Chat GPT more just to remind myself how certain financial math works and, and less to like come up with uh, screener schemes to, you know, identify meme coins and potentially profit from them. But you know what? This is this is fascinating stuff. Um, but one thing that that I think that I think we're both realizing just from digging into a topic that neither of us really took seriously even two or three weeks ago is echoes the broader theme that maybe these things aren't going away. Maybe even though 16 guai is neutral gas levels for ETH and we're, we're consistently averaging 50 to 150 Gwaii, ETH is deflationary, it's crazy. it, it doesn't, doesn't, you know, all of this activity, the fact that it isn't going away and the fact that there are like pearls or kernels of an investment thesis inside of it means that maybe we should just get used to this. And even if it does eventually die down. The ETH that's being burned as a result of of this activity is is never coming back. So it is real and it does need to be taken seriously for what it is. So I guess on that note, I have a question for you, Avi. Um, The question is, all right, we're burning a lot of ETH gas. You know, sorry, ETH is deflationary against the backdrop of this high gas environment, which is occurring because of the meme coin frenzy. Then you have Bitcoin transactions, which are through the roof because of ordinals, uh, which maybe you could explain in a minute. But um, should we just get used to this higher blockchain activity paradigm? What does it mean for price? And what does it mean for supply and demand of
0: block space? Is there an investment thesis there? So very, very good questions. Uh, And I'll start by saying, (laughs) <laughs> like the best thing that Ethereum ever did was EIP one five five nine for itself. I mean, it just like yeah. it opened the door for so much institutional capital to come in the space. I gave a I gave a talk last week at a at, at a conference that was filled with a lot of uh, you know pension fund allocators, a lot of institutional allocators, and that was uh, the second session in the in in the morning. And I got an obscene amount of questions on it. And one of the things that I brought up was, hey, Ethereum is generating a substantial amount of money a year in quote unquote revenue through its fee burn, right? If you annualize it out to $5 billion a year in burn fees, that's pretty substantial buyback, right? Quote unquote, Uh, ETH is deflationary. And this is all during a bear market. It's not even a bull market. Ethereum prices, you know, it's up to start the year. Sure. But it's not like we we, we don't have a frenzy by any, by any means. And so that really hit home for a lot of people. And so what I'm seeing is that if as activity like really picks up, uh, you're going to get a lot of people that are actually going to start buying based off of the back of that, uh, you know, you know, there was, there was a note put out by a sell side desk on uh on you know eth uh, eth being deflationary, and a lot of allocators are looking at that very seriously in a way that is actually quite bearish for things like Solana, even though my prior bullishness on 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 Solana, not notwithstanding i'm still bullish on it short term mid term maybe less long term because of uh the fact that if these l ones Don't generate fees in the same way, and burn those fees and generate revenue for their shareholders in the same way that Ethereum does. Allocators are just way less likely to come in and buy it, and so you get this sort of funny, like let's like it. It it honestly is a little bit funny to me because let's say you had these two, uh, these these two these two platforms, Ethereum, and like a, a different version of Ethereum where. The fees were one hundredth the size, uh, and they had the equal equal amount of activity. Well, you might actually end up getting a lot of allocation to the first one instead of the second one because it like looks better on a on a basis, even though moving forward, you might actually see all that activity move over because of the fees. But right now, at least uh, because all eyes are on Ethereum, uh, because that's where the speculative money is, because that's where the market participants are. The, they're able to charge those fees. Uh, I do like the the New York analogy for Ethereum. It's like, yes, it, Manhattan's expensive, but it's expensive for a reason because everybody's there and everybody that you want to be around is already there. Uh, so, you know, I do think that that uh, that is at least floating around the institutional circles as something that, hey, crypto now is actually revenue generating. It's now real. It's now a thing. And the beauty of proof of stake is that all of those fees that are burned and all the fees that are generated, by the way, all the fees that are generated are now paid back to owners of the asset. In Bitcoin, it's very different. All, despite activity going through the roof, all of those fees are paid not to the holders of Bitcoin, but to an extractive third-party entity, miners, and so What you get is you just get a worse dynamic because the more activity that exists on Bitcoin, actually, the more supply of Bitcoin is probably going to hit the market. And it also
1: deteriorates the user experience. Like Binance just halted withdrawals briefly uh, over the past 48 hours because the Bitcoin network was experiencing so much usage and traffic that just basic wallet transfer transactions were, were delayed. To a point that even Binance was, was like, "Hey, we need to hit the pause button here." It's crazy to think yeah. about. So yeah. it is it is what what you mentioned about how the stakeholders of ETH are aligned because they literally are staking it and earning the rewards, um, and processing the blocks, constructing them, and the fact that in Bitcoin you don't have that. In the one you know, on the one hand, uh, the security of the Bitcoin network is possibly more <clears throat> robust, but on the other, its usability as an L one is you know, there, there's a flaw there. So, you know, I guess should we should we be worried about Bitcoin? Like, Bitcoin has been the trade this year. Gbtc has outperformed Bitcoin, but pretty much nothing else in in crypto land has, uh, with a, with the exception of a few smaller protocols. Should we hey, be
0: worried that miners? That miners have done pretty well, and actually, this true. is this this is probably very bullish for miners, and I don't know if that's being reflected in price. And I also don't know if like the street has figured this out yet. And so you actually could see some like really good, okay, okay, I just have an alert here. Bitcoin transaction fees are exceeding 6.25 BTC block reward for the first time since 2017. Just got sent out. So uh, you might have like whatever has been projected for minor revenues this quarter, you might actually have that just be blown out of the water and then like come earning's time for these guys you could get a pop if the street hasn't realized they'll they'll figure it out. That's no, a great point. I mean Marathon stock is up
1: 173% this year. It's it's crazy. I guess I was referring more to like tokens and token-looking things. But yeah, no, you have you have a great point with these with these miners. And so, I guess the question is um should we like should we be worried about Bitcoin dominance as a result of the fact that transactions have exploded on Bitcoin an L1 that isn't necessarily built to work like Ethereum and is deteriorating its UX. Like I, I would think no. I think, I think eventually these you know ordinals and Bit- ordinals are Bitcoin NFTs uh, in the shortest possible explanation. Like I think this is going to die down and I think Bitcoin is going to remain a, a usable network. But if it doesn't,
0: look out below. I'm, I'm, I'm. I actually think the opposite. I think that uh what probably happens if I were to chart out a path is that we get tech we we got a tech solution to this. We don't get a like die down solution to this. There's no like so they, community of developers that's
1: all in in agreement working on Bitcoin the way that there is on ETH. Like there are Bitcoin core devs, but
0: they're they're split into factions. Yeah, but so I mean ordinals were developed, these BRC20s were developed. Like I think what's happening right now is you're seeing the or origin sparks of an organic development community for bitcoin i think you're 100 mm-hmm. percent right in that it doesn't exist today but i would bet that in a month in two months in three months like the number of people that are f- trying to figure out how to build on bitcoin probably two x's over the next month or two months based on this activity because like people flock to where you can make money at the end of the day and the reality is that you can now make money building on bitcoin so it might be very difficult but i think people are going to try and they might not it might not work but there's going to be an effort made because if you figure it out like i'm already seeing right now the so right now when you buy these brc20s it's all sorts of, like, it's kind of messed up, right? Just for
1: the listeners, what 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 is a BRC20, just for the, the uninitiated?
0: And I'm gonna pretend that I know what I'm talking about and then just take notes on what you're saying. So ordinals are effectively NFTs on Bitcoin. A BRC20, like, that has nothing to do with it in ERC20 in a technical sense. It's not like it's a token standard for building on Bitcoin, the same way that ERC20 is like a standard token built on, built on uh, Ethereum. A BRC-20 is effectively still an NFT, but it's just like a bunch of the same NFTs that are all fungible. And so they're kind of quote unquote, like tokens, right? So like when you, you can go to BRC-20.io and you can see all the top BRC-20s, it's just a play on words again. And when you go and actually buy and sell these things, you go to a marketplace, um, I'm forgetting the exact name of the uh, of, of the website. I'll pull it up in a second. Uh, but you, you go, you go, you go on a marketplace, and it basically lists them out like in lots of a hundred or lots of a thousand at like different prices, as you would see on OpenSea. Like when you go on OpenSea and you see a collection of all these different NFTs, well, you, it's the same thing with these BRC 20s except that they're all the same. They're just like varying amounts of them. So it's like a hundred, a 1, thousand, a ten thousand, mm-hmm. uh, one million of these Pepe BRC twenties. And so there's no ex- there's no like exchange for them yet. It's more of a like listing of these NFTs that represent different amounts of different amounts of the tokens. But someone right now is working on building an AMM for them. Mm. Like i I'm like they're like pushing, you know, commits commits to GitHub right that's now. That's one I don't work like with like developers like, working on Jonat instead I, of Exactly. If you ask me, are they gonna pull it off? I have no idea. Like I don't even know if it's technical. I'm not I'm not the most technical guy in the world. I have absolutely no idea if it's possible to go actually build out on Bitcoin. I don't even know what it would look like if you did. You got a whiteboard behind you, so we know you're we know you're halfway technical
1: and serious as a, yes as an investment yes. professional. Yeah. White whiteboards mean you're you're very technically uh, proficient. I, I have an HP laser jet. That's that's my um claim to fame here.
0: That's how you I have a, legit. I have a Cisco phone, Stratify. Whoa. I know, right? Oh, nice! I like, I like regressed when, when, back, when back in the world like twenty years. Pick up this thing; it's actually super useful, by the way. But I'm, I'm so big on phone calls now. Uh, what landlines? Yeah, no, just like phone calls in general. I hate Zooms. I've, I've grown to really hate them. Well, welcome to my generation. I, I, I
1: totally sympathize. And if you ever want to have a phone call, like I'm right here. I have a telephone waiting for you to
0: dial it. It's just like, because when you're on Zoom, and then you have to like look them in the eye and pay attention. And just, anyway, this is Anyway, it's a whole thing. Get on the phone, you go walk around. I live on the beach. You go walk up and down the beach. You used to get the same stuff done, but you're like moving. So much better. Anyway, I completely lost my train of thought. It doesn't matter. I mean,
1: I think in every episode, we have to spend at least three minutes talking about something unrelated to crypto and trading. Last time we talked about going outside and chill, chilling out for a bit. Now we now we can just imagine Avi Fellman walking on the beach with that um that giant that that phone with the giant antenna the 1980s cell phone from Wall Street um, Michael Douglas starred in that movie I don't know if you know who he is Avi but he's an actor okay. um, <coughs> yeah so yeah I mean hop on the phone forget about Zoom for a little bit maybe maybe that's our our thousand x piece of Zen for this week yeah maybe we should
0: start ending these podcasts with a piece of advice. Like maybe a piece of unsolicited, probably completely unsolicited. We'll try our best to not make a terrible. Piece of advice, yeah. We're both wearing black T-shirts today, so
1: it probably shouldn't be fashion related. We're, we're mourning the the loss of the days when no one cared about Ethereum and Bitcoin block space. Now it's a big frenzy. In New York, it would be very
0: fashionable. But this actually has a has some stuff on it. We've got the, uh, uh, casino casino symbols. The Sega uh, the Sig shirt. Actually, that pick, picked it up at some, uh, like they, they held some tournament in my college a long time ago. Uh, uh, while I was in college, not at my college. When I was in college, they held they held some sort of tournament for uh, for trading, like algorithmic trading, uh, like a bunch of the firms in Chicago. I think, I think that- they You clearly didn't win. Otherwise, you'd be working there. No, no. Didn't one later, and that's what America's all about. One, One later. It was also like a really, like it was a very like silly- event um like it was it was just very unrealistic the way that the way that it was the way that it was put together but anyway that's what i'm going to blame on the fact that it was uh that that, that i didn't win this is that so okay what the piece of advice if you ever if you ever fail just make sure you blame somebody else for it Hmm.
1: i i would rephrase that and sort of spin it back to crypto trading um as follows i would say you're gonna fail but just make sure that when you fail you don't die and that way you're still around to catch what hopefully is the next success i think crypto involves weathering some pretty difficult periods of time um financially and so if you can stay in a trade that staying power ultimately turns you into the contrarian who ends up uh reaping the asymmetric rewards after you know everybody else uh gets
0: out of the way Dude, I don't understand why you would do this to me like I <laughs> like, clearly I was like clearly joking with my piece of advice and you come in there with some like real advice to give to to give to people to make me look bad Jonah are you kidding I mean we could go back to the the
1: automatically generated transcript here Avi but I needed to I need to throw something in there you've been doing like 70% of the talking on this one we'll get you we'll get you talking on the next one I I had a lot to say I want want to hear your I want to hear what you have to say you you have a lot more crypto experience than most so it is
0: ultra ultra valuable for me for me as well well then the next time we're going to have a very special guest on this podcast and a very interesting guest someone that you probably have never heard on a podcast before because I don't think he's ever done a podcast before but he's one of the most successful traders in american history so i'll leave you with that again uh none of this is investment advice
1: crypto is risky um but great having you on a thousand x and and thank you so much for joining we know your time is valuable and we, we really appreciate you listening in very
0: much so and i will reiterate none of this is investment advice thanks jonah thanks javi Till next week uh,